This is the Raider Cotton Nation podcast with your host, Alpha Mike, and our roster of co-hosts, we patrol America's law enforcement beat. We invite you today on a ride-along. Now, here's your weekly briefing on Raider Cop Nation. Transmitting high atop of Florida's peninsula at 108 feet. This is Alpha Mike, and you're listening to Raider Cop Nation. Today is episode 118 on Who's the Boss, part two. Now, a lot of people were expecting a different episode. It was originally broadcasted for uh, liberal leaders versus conservative law enforcement leaders. But my calls on that was the cop. And I wasn't paying attention that we're running towards the end of the calendar year. And I assumed that I had more time than I really had. That's called old age, my friends. And uh, so to be fair to the cop, I've pushed that back to January and moved this one up. Of course, this episode of Who's the Boss was uh, brought because of uh, some audiences were asking me, hey, look, all that mafia stuff is great. And uh, we're really enthusiastic about your Wise Guys series, but that's ancient history. We want to know about what's going on currently. So I presented... The five families of New York, Colombo, Bonanno, Lucchese, Gambino, and Genovese. And we discuss those five families. And uh, today we're going to discuss an, another additional seven and let's just say seven and a half. One really doesn't exist, but we're going to throw it into the mix to kind of tell you <clears throat> why they don't exist. So we're going to talk about seven that exist, one that does not exist any longer. Or at least we don't think so. So a lot to talk about. I, this is probably one of the longest um, notes that I've projected by law. I'm up to like five pages of uh, notes here. Of course, I'm not going to bore you with all of them. A lot of this stuff is research that's going to be used down the road. Now, after we do this Wise Guys series 2019. We next year, we're going to be introduced to just about the four uh, LCN mafia tales of uh, the Wise Guys series. We're going to do a show on Rico, and you're, that's not a guy; that's an actual statue. We're going to do another show on the commission case and how that crippled but didn't put it out of the of its misery, the Mafia. And we'll talk about that. And, and then we're going to look at the Lucchese family and the Genovese family and probably the Gambino family. I know we did Colombo and Bonanno, so we'll do those three. And that will be uh, for this type of Wise Guy series. The rest of them, uh, Wise Guy series, will start uh, transitioning towards outlaw motorcycle gangs. Got a lot uh, to cover ground there too. Outlaws, pagans, uh, hell's angels, mongols, uh, banditos, blah, blah, blah. What are they into? How organized are they? And uh, how has government hit or missed taking them out of business? And uh, we're going to wrap up 2020 with... uh, some of the uh, cartels and mostly diving into the Mexican cartel and La M, which is the letter M in Spanish for the Mexican Mafia. And I was, when I did the research on the Mexican Mafia, I was amazed at the level of intellect that organization has. By far, one of the highest that I've, I've seen. So, we got a lot to discuss in the Wise Guy series, not only today, but in 2020. So, uh, some other program notes. We've got our Christmas lights up, RaiderCopNation.com. You can uh, post it there. There you'll see Santa Claus on his sleigh, and you'll hear the Jingle Bell song. If it gets on your nerves while you're uh, going through the website, you can 
put it on pause on the bottom of the page. And uh, we've also upgraded some of our logos to show the Christmas season as well. A little criticism there about no uh, having any festivities for Raider Cop Nation. So we threw that in there. And um, we're also now uh, going into another realm of social networking, which is Snapchat. Now, I'm not going to lie. If I'm lost in social network, period, here I'm completely lost in the wilderness without a compass. Don't really understand the working mechanism of Snapchat or what exactly it's supposed to do. But uh, we're taking a dive on it. You can uh, meet us on Snapchat at Raider Cop. And um, there you'll see my uh, avatar. That's what they call it. It's a picture of me, your host, Alpha Mike. And um, I guess we'll post uh, things periodically. I, Again, I don't have a grasp of that. So don't expect many, many, many miracles to happen. Speaking of miracles, it's time for the Word of the Week. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, that's precious, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you don't, you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy exp- expressively and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Beautiful, First uh, Peter, and that's going to be. Uh, Verse uh, five, uh, six through eight. First Peter six through eight, and of course uh, you can follow us at Test Everything fifteen twenty one, where we're going to talk about what the scripture actually means. As always, we know that the word of God is the seed is planted and it will flourish for those that are His. We are going to continue on our, this is our last part of our overview from episode 109. We talked about the club. People wanted to hear a little bit more. I decided at that time after episode 109 that instead of doing one or two more episodes, I would just expand upon a little bit more about the club on each episode. So this is 118. You can do the math. I'll tell you. I've done already uh, nine overviews. Today's overview is going to be on mentorship and growth. Now, we're only going to spend like uh, 10, 15 minutes on this, as we always do. We've got a lot of material to talk about today, which I'm really concerned with. I can actually do a lot of time management today. So a lot of fast, fast talking. All right, I took my sip of water. I can go. Now. Membership and uh, mentorship and growth on the, the club scene is important. Now, as I told you, my experience, there were three organizations evolving, changing names, changing characters, changing vision, and changing organizational uh, mindset. As a result, the mentorship was a little bit more difficult to do, but important. Now, a lot of people think that you got to mentor somebody within the structure of the club to fill those shoes. 
but primarily you got to seek gifts that people have in them and those gifts are planted within the club or the organization and will flourish and grow in the position it needs to grow so in other words you don't mentor 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 somebody in a position you mentor their gifts into the club that flourishes in the club and that being important for the continuation of the club also growth you don't want to stay as we say here on radio cop nation a midget mental midget you want to grow and it's important to have that vision for me when i was a part of the club we went from the local to the state to the national and we grew and we changed several times our club plans but we grew and that is very important as well your mentorship is just a guide for the gifts that the person that you're mentoring has it doesn't mean that you're going to give them with this magical wand the gift of doing what you used to do what it means is that they have specific skill sets and gifts him or her and they can use it for the benefit of the club a lot of clubs don't do that a lot of clubs just do this electional thing next thing you know you're stuck with a buffoon uh, for three years four years whatever their term of office is i've actually seen some organizations disappear off the radar for six to eight years and then come back because the last leadership they had was so dismal that it ran it into the ground. So mentorship is, a, is very important. There's also mentorship within the law enforcement agency that you're in. The organization to do, should do that too. I mentored many, many people in my career, 27 years. Some of them have retired. Some of them are still there and up in rank. And I'm very proud of each and every one of them they were handpicked by me uh, through the inspiration of God that I could pick up the gifts in them and therefore it was made much easier for me to mentor them all right so that's our last overview we're not going to do any more the next uh Episode 119 is the best of series, uh, best of Radio Cop Nation, the five top shows, and we're going to put segments of them, so there will be no overview for that. And of course, the next time you hear me will be after 119, 120 will be Happy New Year, which is January 1st of 2020. And uh, so the next episode that I am, I'm going to do a one-hour episode on the club February 12th 2020 that episode should put everything that I've talked about in all nine overviews together in one package so test me if you will test everything and see how I do all right so it is that time to gather up the clowns start the horns play the music because we're going into the main event, episode 118, Who's the Boss of La Costa Nostra? Not the five families, but the rest of the country. We will look at seven families, some on the rocks, and one additional one that's gone, and why they're gone, and how that happened. We've gone from 26 to this.
from 26 families to the list that we're going to share with you, plus five, which are the New York City families. Needless to say that the LCN La Costa Nostra is not as big and strong as it was once was. Today it is leaner, fitter, faster in movement, and... I would even venture to say that it is growing slowly at the pace that it would like to grow. Of course, who's the boss? Um, In our first episode, we discussed the five families of New York, which is comprised of what's better known as the commission. We will have an episode on that in 2020. Today, I'm going to talk about these... uh, Eight families, and let me tell you, I'm, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. I'm going to be really going up against the clock here. So let's start off with naming the families and who their bosses are. I'll try to give uh, accurate pronunciations to the name. And um, then we'll talk a little bit about these families, how they started. And I'm not going to go too much into detail. They got a lot of notes, but I'll try to give you um, an overview, uh, of course, because these are going to be episodes in the future. Okay, first up, we have the Philadelphia crime family, and that is uh, led by Skinny Joey Molino, an underboss or street boss is uh, Mickey Lance, Lance, Lance Lodi, and the consulary is Joe Langambi, Langambi, and uh, Langambi's really brought the Philadelphia crime family into fold. Old-time mafioso, old school, almost 80 years old. He's really put the discipline down. He's really um, made them into the force that they currently are. Estimates are that the family has between 40 and 50 made members, which is pretty much the entire list here. Very small numbers compared to the New York families. Remember, we discussed that the Colombo family is probably the smallest of the five families with 75 to 85 members. And then it balloons all the way up to the Gambino and Genovese family with... um, some large numbers of 300 made members and so forth. So uh, these are going to be small families, but very effective in what they do. Philadelphia, that's Philadelphia. Number two, the Delvacante family from New Jersey. And its uh, current boss is Charles Majurdi. And uh, the consulary is Frank Negrero. Negrero. And... Again, in New Jersey, we're going to discuss that a little bit more, the Devocalvicante family. It's uh, what people know as the Sopranos from TV, but very far-fetched in reality from the TV show. Uh, up number three, the uh, Patriarca family, and that's being run by the Cheese Man D'Nunzio, under bosses Mance Matthew Gurgel Lametti, and Consulati, Joe, the Bishop, Achilles, Achilles. And uh, the Parkyadra family out of New England, mostly the leadership kind of fluctuates between Boston and Rhode Island, and we'll discuss that too. The Chicago outfit, a lot smaller than what people really imagine, when you say the Chicago Alfred, a lot of people are thinking of the Al Capone days. Well, Al Capone's long and gone. And in actuality, Al Capone didn't run the Chicago Alfred for very long. Very small um, leadership on his part because the government had some pending tax issues with him and they imprisoned him. But the Chicago outfit is currently run by Salvatore Di Laurentis and the underboss, Salvatore Sammy Cards Cantaluda. And uh, again, they probably are the most sophisticated 
of all the families outside of the original five families, the Chicago outfit has been giving a lot of areas of responsibility and leadership that the other families don't have based on the authority of the commission. And uh, a lot of the five families in New York wanted to concentrate on their dealings. And so a lot of the other responsibility on the other families was given to the Chicago outfit. But um, we'll talk about them more in a little bit. Next up is Buffalo and the Buffalo family. The boss currently, Joseph Turado Jr., underboss Dominico Lioletti, Consoletti, Victor Sansesi. And the Buffalo family, there's speculation that it's run to the ground. It doesn't exist. But uh, I wouldn't put it out completely because of its geographical location, and we'll talk about that. Next up is uh, Kansas City. And the boss, uh, according to our latest gossip, is uh, John Johnny Joe Sinrotino. And uh, one of the issues with uh, the Kansas City mob is that pretty much it's... uh, blown away, but uh, we'll discuss why these organizations exist in the areas they exist, kind of give you a better feel for it. And lastly, uh, from the uh, seven that we believe are still alive, the Cleveland uh, mob, Austin and the leader with Russell Papalardo, Papalardo, and um, one of the issues uh, also that they have um, gone underneath the radar, about uh, 20 to 30 members is what's believed, and uh, so effective that um, people think that they're dead and buried. The other organization I want to talk about before we close out today is the Tampa Mob that was run by uh, Santos Traficante, but we'll get to more of that in a minute. Let's start off with the Kansas City family, originally known as the Black Hand Gang. It transformed, originated, and formed in 1912. Very important to keep an emphasis on the date of formation or creation for these organizations. 1912, Sicilians came over, uh, two primarily Sicilian brothers called the the Giovanni brothers from Sicily, they came to Kansas City and set up shop. Uh, from one of the reasons uh, they came to that specific air- area is because there was some remnants of an Italian community there already, and there was some remnants of an Italian gang there, and they... The big money was coming, so they got pushed out of the way by the Genovese, Genovani brothers. Next up is uh, Philadelphia, formed 1911. And, uh, you know, we can go back to the members and all that originally. Uh, Currently, it's believed that there are 50 members in the Philadelphia mob. Now, it was founded by Salvatore Sabella, and he was sent to Philadelphia, sent, and uh, he was he was ordered there from Sicily, and uh, they wanted him to create, again, there was already an organized crime in Philadelphia, but um, from Sicily, mostly from the land in the, or the uh, countryside of where Joseph Banana was from, Casa del Golfo, Sicily, they wanted those people to go there because uh, of their Sicilian ties back to Sicily. So Salvatore uh, Savella, he sets up shop in Philadelphia. From there, uh, the he uh, leaves. Now remember, our point of reference we usually do on the Wise Guy series when we talk about the Italian Mafia is 1931. That's when Luca Luciano created the commission. 
there's when it was formally organized. Anything prior to that is kind of uh, hit or miss, and it's very disorganized. But for the sake of this episode, we are talking about things prior. So from 31 to 36, the boss uh, becomes a gentleman by the name of uh, Evina. And uh, he rules for over a little bit over five years. And um, he, he's uh, there's a w- ongoing battle with an existing clan that exists in Philadelphia, the uh, Lanzetti mob in the 30s. They duke it out and shoot it out. Um, then a gentleman by the name of Joseph Bruno comes into play. Now, this Bruno is no relation to another Bruno as we go down the family tree. Um, there was, uh, with uh, Joseph Bruno, he basically um, influences the Philadelphia mob into what we know and believe what it is today. Um, we run down to um, the 1940s and 50s now, and there was a large influence in the Genovese family. Of course, uh, the Genovese family does not take that name till 1957. Prior to that, it was the Luciano family. But in the 40s and 50s, the Luciano family had a lot of influence in the Philadelphia mob. And the gentleman uh, that uh, becomes their leader in 1946 is Joseph Ida. And uh, he's influential because he has ties to what is currently called the Genovese family. At the time, it was the Luciano family. Then it turns into the Genovese family after 57. So there was a lot of emphasis from uh, Vito Genovese as far as the development of the Philly mob in the 40s and 50s. Uh, that kind of changes up until 1957 when the commission meets in the Appalachia, Appalachia, New York, where over 100 mobsters were meeting and I think 60 of them were arrested for gathering you know, known criminals together. And uh, so at that juncture, the Genovese family hold or stranglehold on the Philadelphia mob is kind of stepped to the side. And uh, the birth of a gentleman uh, uh, by the name of uh, Angelo Bruno is born again, and Antonio Bolina. But uh, through the influence, eventually, as we get out of the 50s and get into the 60s, Carlo Gambino is going to take a very important role in the Philadelphia mob. Now, up to then, uh, we've had Sicilian influence from, let's just say, the region of Sicily of Joe Bonanno and Stefano Magandino. And some other uh, prominent mobsters came from that area. And they were sent to Philly. Then the Genovese family, well, it was Luciano, but then it develops into the Genovese family under uh, Vito Genovese, started influencing the family there of course, Genovese was not Sicilian. He was from Naples. And uh, so they really, uh, through that era, develop a lot of money through Philadelphia, the Genovese family. But now in 57, when they crown Vito Genovese, uh, Capo de Tutte Cape, which is basically boss of all bosses, even though the meeting was a complete failure because out of 100 participants, 60 get arrested, Uh, Genovese lets his hold off of the Philadelphia mob and um, Angela Bruno kind of brings in that era and then we get into Angelo Bruno when Carlo Gambino now starts to focus on Angelo uh, Bruno becoming boss of the Philadelphia mob. Now Angelo Bruno, no relation to Joseph Bruno, is a longtime friend of Carlo Gambino. Gambino was a part of Albert Anastasia's organization, Mangandano family, 
And when they rubbed him out in 1957, Anastasia, Gambino was the underboss and he becomes the boss. As we know in history will tell us, from uh, the 57 up into his death in 76, I believe it was, Gambino ran his family um, with almost no challenges or oppositions whatsoever and became the capo de tutte capi on the commission for that time frame, very influential. At that time, he had already pushed out. Joseph Bonanno, Provacci had died, and uh, we know the rest. And Lucchese later dies in 67. So it was, um, and Vito Genovese ends up in prison in 62, I believe it was. Uh, so it's a free reign for Gambino, and he becomes the capo de tutte capi on the commission. And he puts his buddy, Angelo Bruno, in charge. Of course, Bruno uh, runs the organization almost um, hands-off from his appointment in 57, I believe it was, until 1980 when he's assassinated. And uh, then it turns into a turmoil. It goes into a spin, a hydro spin. Angelo Bruno was killed because... Certain members of the Philadelphia mob had reached out to people in the Genovese family, and they said that they weren't earning enough, and they kind of put a feeler out there that could they get rid of Bruno. And, of course, you cannot get rid of a boss of a family without commission approval, but these two eggheads uh, believed that they got a sign from a Genovese family to go ahead and rub them out, and they did. And when they thought they were going to be crown prince and they were summoned back to New York to meet the Genovese family, they thought they were going to be crowned boss and underboss, but what they ended up is in the trunk of a car, killed, shot, stabbed, and money was placed in their mouth and in their behind and um, to show an act of greed, and they were eliminated. There was the second uh, uh, underboss for uh, Angelo Bruno takes over, Chicken Man, he gets blown up. It's a, it's a turmoil spin for Philadelphia. They had never really had a personality since inception. So now they're trying to find their roots and trying to, see how they can govern themselves. So you have a cast of characters coming in and coming out and coming in and coming out and street wars. And at the end of the day, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Pete Casella. He was a cop on the Philadelphia mob, and he tried to fool Nicky uh, Nicodemo, little Nicky Scarfo, into believing that he met with uh, members in the New York City mob, probably the Genovese family. He mentions uh, Genovese and Gambino family, and that they gave him their word and their approval of little Nicky Scarfo as being the boss. Well, little Nicky thought about it, and he came from a line of gangsters and his family, and he said, if memory serves me correct, this did not work out too good for a couple of people in 1980, so I'm not a goof today. He runs out and reaches out to the Genovese and Gambino family in New York, and they told him that was baloney. They had never given that approval. As a result, Nicky takes the opportunity because he was the couple, the captain of the Atlantic City region. Now, the Philadelphia mob is not just in Philadelphia. It has uh, jurisdictions of Atlantic City as well, which is in New Jersey. They have a faction in South Jersey, North Jersey, uh, well, Central Jersey, and Philadelphia. And um, little Nicky, taking the opportunity with the Gambinos and the Genovese, he said, listen, hey, you know we're going to have uh, legal gambling in Atlantic City, I can offer you guys uh, the ability to earn there as uh, organized crime and with no interference from us. I'm sure there was some type of tax that was was uh, was uh, placed on the table, 
But, but uh, the Genovese and Gambino families loved it, and they crowned little Nicky Scarfo, the boss. But they first told him, go back and straighten out your problem with uh, Peter Casella because he's a no-good liar. So instead of killing him, he put him on the shelf to send him down to Florida, stripped him of all his organized crime influences, and a couple of other people that were with him were killed. But Scarfo becomes a, a mass murderer in the Philadelphia mob. Paranoid, schizophrenic, everybody that looked at him the wrong way got it. And, um, of course, he ends up in prison multiple times. And eventually, uh, it's very difficult to run an organization from prison. So uh, they bring in another boss, John Stampha, approved by the Gambino family, was a Sicilian. Now, the Philly mob at that time when Stampha comes in, they see him as an outsider. Now, Stampha was uh, actually... Angelo Bruno's driver, but he wasn't really a Philly guy, so nobody respected him. I mean, how do you run an organization that doesn't respect you? So he thought because he had the the nod from the commission that he can rule Philly, and it didn't work out, and he was uh, taken on by the Young Turks, and that was in the form of skinny Joey Molino. Molino takes him on. They bang it out. Molino ends up the winner. Of course, Molino, being smarter, puts up a couple of front bosses to make people think that they are the boss, but he has actually been that boss behind the scenes all along. Skinny Joey Molino's father was in the mob and his uncles, and um, his uh, uncles, I believe, and father were shelled for being drunken and... uh, uh, skinny Molino's father was the underboss under uh, Nicky, little Nicky Scarfo. So it, they get rid of Stanfa. It goes to Molino, uh, which are referred to as the Young Turks. And as a result, he, and all along, even to today, has put old timers in these positions to run the family, but he is the power behind the family. And um, a shrewd operation, and it is working for them. All right, uh, up next, the Cleveland mob. And uh, the Cleveland mob formed in um, 1920, was formed by uh, Joseph Big Joe Leonardo. And uh, the big boss, the power boss, as I like to call them, you know, you, a family can have a boss, a founder, but you have that power boss. That's that boss when they come in, they take you to a different level. And for Cleveland, it was a guy by the name of John Scalish, and he took them from 44 to 76, their heyday. They had uh, multiple other members. Today, they're regarded to being between 15 and 20 members under the leadership of Russell Papalardo. And uh, again, under the radar, a lot of uh, people think they're dead and buried, but they are under the radar and still much alive in Cleveland. All right, Buffalo Mangandino. The Mangandino family, of course, uh, originates uh, with a f- in 1910. Their founder is a guy by the name of Angelo Palmieri, and Later, they have another boss from 1912 to 1922, Giuseppe DiCarlo. Now, these individuals are not very organized. Remember, it's pre-commission era. Commission starts in 1931, so everything is kind of disorganized. A lot of these groups, these organizations, go into these cities for two reasons. One, there's an Italian community in their region, so they can make money. And two, the bootleg days during Prohibition where alcohol was illegal, they would run these secret routes up these cities to get to these major cities and make a ton of money. And uh, so that's how they become powerful and grow into La Costa Nostra that they later become and they are today. Uh, The Buffalo family after that, 
from 1922 to 1974. That's over 52 years, my friends, is under the leadership of Stefano the Undertaker Mangandino. Stefano Mangandino, the cousin of Joseph Bonanno, also coming from the region of Casta del Golfo, Sicily. They have a long tradition of mafia in these two families, Bonanno and Mangandino. Of course, Bonanno swore that Mangandino was his enemy, although he was his cousin. They um, did not see eye to eye at the end. Mangandino rules from 1922 to 1974, but eventually the, the mobsters that were in Buffalo were tired of his leadership style, which was me, 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 me. Or remember, as we say in Spanish, translate me into Spanish is yo, 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 and you become a yo-yo. And um, they were tired of the yo-yo type of leadership, and they've kind of put him on the shelf. So here's another boss in the same tradition of family of Joe Bonanno that get put on the shelf. Now, there's a question, well, he was never put on the shelf. He, he retired. And, well, guess what? He wasn't in charge of anything after 74. And um, it goes into a, a, a series of uh, mobsters that are leading but today, presently, they say that Joe Torardo Jr. is in charge. Of course, there's a senior that was in the mob, too, in Buffalo. Buffalo has ties to a lot of Canadian influence, Canadian mobsters. Whole different realm of, of mafioso up there in Canada. Not only Sicilian, but from other regions of Italy, too. They really... Don't uh, want them, uh, the five families don't want them in the United States, period. And they'll do work and business with them, but they don't want them in the United States. But they're up in Canada, and Buffalo has a good handle on them as well. About 30 members in total. And uh, posted to the show notes, I'm going to put an interview about the pizza guy because Joe Toralo Jr. is the owner of a pizza joint. And uh, there's an interview with him there. And it's a kind of funny thing. You could see that this is an actual mob boss of the Buffalo crime family. When you, when you look at this, it'll be on the show notes. Uh, now we're going to the big boys, 1910 Chicago outfit under Big Jim Colosimo from 1910-1920. And he's murdered in 1920. John Torrio runs the operation from 1920-1925. And now the one and only, the Scarface, the man we know as the, the mafioso himself, Alphonse Al Capone, is in charge of the outfit from 1925 to 1931. Now, one of the things about uh, Alphonse, he did not really like this um, Sicilian uh, mafioso court of uh, order, soldiers, capos, uh, underboss, boss, consulary. He didn't give, get all that. And all you had to be Italian and all that. So he didn't even call his family a family. He called it the outfit. And he dealt with a lot of other ethnic groups as well. Alphonse was a little different than the rest of them. But when Alphonse left, uh, they went right back into uh, La Costa Nostra control under Frank Nitti from 1931-1943, Nitti committing suicide, Paul Rieker, 1943-1947, and here's another power boss. We come up to Tony Ocardo, 1947-1957, and during the era where the uh, Chicago Alpha was about to make a ton of money, Ocardo and uh, Paul Rieker, they have a lot of influence in the, the outfit. Now, the outfit at that time had a lot of made members. Today, they're not believed to be that big, maybe about 30 members. But back then, they had a whole lot more. They started putting up front bosses. And the front boss that they put up was Sam Momo Giancana, 1957-1966. Of course, Giancana gets hit with an indictment on murder flees to Mexico, and then wants to come back and be the boss. And um, Paul Rica and Tony Ocardo go, what are you, crazy? So uh, Giancana was assassinated in his uh, home in uh, Chicago while he was cooking some uh, sausages. 
they put a couple of bullets in the back of his head because no means no. You can't come back. You just shouldn't come back. But he tried to come back. 1966, 1967, Sam Battaglia. And Milwaukee, Phil, 67 to 71. Joseph Apuna, 71 to 86. And uh, Joseph uh, Frirola, 86 to 89. Sam Carlisi, 89 to 96. And John Nonos de Franzo, 96 to 2014. And now today, uh, Sal DeLaurentis, 2014 to the present. Chicago mob really has not had any difficulties in filling in their shoes as leader. With the exception of Giancana trying to come back in 66 and was not accepted, it has been a smooth transition. They are very powerful because the commission has given them the authority anything west of New York City, pretty much. Instead of uh, crying to the five families about a problem in a specific area, they'll go to the outfit and they can basically straighten it out. And if they can't, then it goes to the commission. Uh, they were awarded Las Vegas as well. So uh, the Chicago outfit has a lot of influence. And uh, with about 30 made members today, it's believed, they're um, not as plentiful because the reality is there's a vacuum in membership for La Costa Nostra in America. Uh, traditional Italian communities really just don't exist anymore where they used to find uh, their pool of soldiers uh, to become made members and so forth. Today is a little bit more difficult. A lot of these uh, smaller groups prefer it small because, of course, money's more plentiful, circuits are easier to keep with the family being smaller. All right, 1916, we're going to go down or in my case, we're going to go up to uh, New England and we're going to see the Patriaca family, which uh, they're from Boston and Providence, Rhode Island. Now, the leadership here is like a, a tug of war between Boston and and uh, Providence, Rhode Island. They also have uh, influence in Connecticut, New Hampshire, and Maine. Founder was J- uh, Jaspar Messina in 1916-1924, Filippo Boloca from 24 to 54, Raymond Patriaca. Remember, we talked about the power boss, and there he is. 54 to 84, 30 years of leadership. He was active on the commission. He was a power broker in the commission as well, and he was, he was just a, a mobster. This guy was a thug, and uh, he uh, ruled his family. He was the power boss that today carries his name. Uh, he uh, dies in 84 of natural causes, and uh, son takes over, Raymond Jr., from 84 to 91, but they weren't having it. They weren't going to have a dynasty here of son and grandson, so he was kind of uh, pushed out and this power uh, going back and forth between Boston and Providence, Rhode Island. And as we said, and uh, the current leadership is uh, Denunzio, and he's, uh, I believe, out in Boston somewhere. So that leadership is going back and forth. The De Vacalvicante family, Del Cavicante, New Jersey. Now, the origins origins of uh, start 1920 come from Stefano Baldami, 1920-1955, Filippito Amari, which retired in 55 to 57, and um, then Nicholas Del Moro, 57 to 64. Now, Del Moro is the uncle of the power boss that's coming by the name of Sam the Plumber, the Vical. Calvacante, and that is 90, he rules from 62 to 64. He was acting then from 64 to 82. Sam serves on the commission, and then after Sam comes John Riggy from 82 to 15. He goes to prison. He runs his family from prison uh, up until 2015. Then it spirals out of control, as we 
discussed, you know, everybody grabbing. But if we go back to the original concept of who's in charge of the New Jersey family, this is the Delva County family, 1931, Loki Luciano never really recognizes them. They were such a small outfit, he didn't even see it uh, important enough to even consider them. The five families were operating in New Jersey. They didn't need their permission. There was no scandal. They were a small group, I believe, originally from Elizabeth, New Jersey. And they were not organized all over the state. So the five families kind of like just walked around them. Uh, but after Sam the Plumber came in in 62, the commission, now there's some big moves being made because uh, Provacci's uh, dies, Bonanno's on the lamb, uh, uh, Lucchese dies in 67. A lot of things going on in the commission. They thought it best, um, the commission at that time through Carlo Gambino, instead of uh, second-guessing the Delvacalte family or the New Jersey Rackets, let's just give them a portion of New Jersey. They don't have the whole thing. They have northern and central New Jersey. That's about it. And Philadelphia has a stake there and every other fair family. you got the Genovese, Lucchese, Gambino and Cherry Hill, and uh, the Bananos are there as well, and the Columbos. Uh, Columbos uh, sons moved to Jersey, and they set up shop there, I believe, and so did uh, Provacci's kids set up shop. They have trucking companies, I believe there it is there in Jersey. So all five families have been in Jersey. So they it's not that the, the Conte family allowed everybody to come over there, no. It was the opposite. They allowed the uh, Delvacante, the De Cavalcante family, to exist in New Jersey. So, all right, up uh, next, uh, 1908, Detroit family. And the founder there was uh, Victor Ademaro. 55 members currently in the metro area, Michigan, Windsor, Ontario. So this is an actual family in America that has ties to uh, organized crime in Canada, as well as the Buffalo family. Uh, this group has ties in Ontario and also Toledo, Ohio. Uh, the power boss, remember we're concentrating on them, 1936-1977, was the old man Zarelli, Joseph Zarelli. And uh, he's infamous with the Jimmy Hoffa and the Teamsters and the corruption of that. And 1934-1936, uh, just prior to him, was uh, Black Bill Tocolo. And um, through these two families, uh, Zarelli and Black Bill Tosco, they kind of rule the Detroit family uh, till today. And um, they are entrenched in as far as they had married, intermarriage a lot. Uh, one family boss with another family boss. Uh, I believe that Zarelli is married with the Provacci, uh, Sal Provacci's daughter, and so forth like that. So um, they always had an ear in the commission, and that's why they are uh, still around. Um, again, about 55 members is believed, or probably less than that. They have shrunk in size because the commission has not really allowed, uh, you know, this very exclusive to open membership. A lot of these older guys are dying out, and uh, they really don't want to replace them. They don't want the aggravations, a lot of these old-timers. They're content, uh, you know, if you got 40 guys in a room, you got to remember all their names. But uh, let's just say in a couple of years you got 30, hey, I can remember their names now because there are less people in the room. All right, so we're about to wrap it up, and we're going to finish it off with this and the Tampa mob. Of course, uh, Santos Tonoficante ran with an iron fist when he passed away in heart surgery uh, back in, uh, I forgot the year, I think it was 97 or 87. He passed away. 
it goes into a tailspin. Now, Traficante wasn't like the other bosses where they were trampled on by the commission or the five families. He held his ground in Florida. So these, any family, whether it was the Alfred, Philadelphia, Detroit, all of them had some type of stake in Florida. Florida was known as an open state, yes. So any of these families could set up a tent in Florida, but your tent was going to be taxed the hell out of by Santos Traficante. He ruled with an iron hand Florida and Cuba, which was when Cuba was around, his areas of racket. So when he died, they kind of, you know, jumbled around with the leadership. You know, it's your turn, it's your turn. And uh, they started a South Florida uh, Traficante section or, or crew with the Genovese family. There was indictments, there was snitching, there was everything else. One guy committed suicide. The long story short, the commission at that time and uh, decided, and that was in the, the early 2000s, they decided, you know what? Traficante is dead. The rule of the Traficante family is gone, and we're going to take over Florida. So a lot of what was left of the Traficante family was just absorbed by the five families. Uh, pretty much, uh, let's say there's five guys left. I don't know what they was. And uh, they basically say, which one of the five families do you want to join? And, uh, you know, a lot of these guys got connections. One one of the families or another. They, I'll go with the Genovese. I'll go with the Gambinos or whatever. And that was it. Traficante is no more. And they were absorbed by the five families because they loved to plant their hat in Florida. So I always laugh when... I hear Florida lawmakers talk about, we don't want legal gambling in Florida because we don't have an organized crime problem down here. This place is flooded. Flooded. I think there's more mobsters here than in New York. That's how bad it is. You know, that's how bad it is. All right, what's up next? Well, the best of Raider Cop Nation 2019. We're going to do the pre-recorded shows Five of our best uh, 2019 shows, about uh, five or ten minutes of each show. And that's going to run December 25th. I will be in competition with Ho Ho Santa. So uh, you might not hear it that day, but you might hear it at 26th, 27th, 28th. And uh, episode 120, January 1st, we will be praising God for the new year. We always start off with God. And I want to say this. 2019 has been a very interesting year for Ridicop Nation. We are finding our identity. I have talked to you about the club, and I talked to you about the organizational skills about the club. A lot of those skills I have had to put to test here in Ridicop Podcast. As you know, we have our um, co-host. I am going to be knocking some of them off that uh, because of. Uh, obligations that they have. They can't uh, be with us on a more consistent basis. So uh, I'm not going to make a you know big fanfare about it. I'll just take their names off uh, the browser on top. And uh, this year, 2020, coming year, this coming year, we're going to be doing some interviews, probably about five to six interviews with uh, people um, that are not co-hosts. And um, we're going to bring you some different formatting as well as far as uh, music intro and stuff like that that we do. Always keeping it interesting. As I say, it is my honor and my pleasure to be your host on Raider Cop Nation. As always, continue to pray for yourself because without you in the race, we have nothing. Continue to pray for your family, your community, and the law enforcement agency that serves you. Most importantly, continue in prayer for the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike, and I'm out. And guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam.